0: Good morning. Good morning. Let me put my stuff up here so that I don't drop it and mess up stuff. Because I'm going to be doing a little bit of. Oh, I'm glad Miss Elsie gave us some more space because I need to read a a little bit of scripture to us. And then we're going to sing a song and I need you guys to join me in a circle here, but not yet. Hold on. There is a section in the Bible that's called Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it's about the teachings of Jesus. And the very first part of it is called the Beatitudes. That's a big word, Beatitude. But basically what it is, it's how to be blessed. Another way of saying how to be blessed is how to be happy. And Jesus said, if you want to be happy... You need to be poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn because they will be comforted. Happy are those who are meek for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they'll be satisfied. Happy are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for this reward. Give me for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you, and all of these things that Jesus is talking about for people who are being happy, it doesn't really sound like happy things. Because what is happiness? What what, when you say I'm happy? What does that mean? What does that mean for you? When you say I'm really happy, what do you say? Do you feel good inside? And what makes you happy? What are some things that make you happy? Mm-hmm. Nothing? Wait, I know. What? Playing with, toys. Playing with your toys. That can make me happy. That can make you happy. What else? Anything else make you happy? Huh? Painting. Happy. Painting as in painting a wall or painting a drawing? drawing? Ah, so you're an artist. So painting makes you happy. What else? Painting. painting. You like painting too? Very cool. Painting. I like, I like drawing too. I'm not that good, but I like it. Yes, sir. I, I love to draw. We have a lot of artists here. Well, do we have any singers here? Come on up here. I want to show you. I want to teach you a song. You probably you may know this song already, but I want to teach it to you. If you don't know it, come on and stand in a circle around me. OK, a, a big circle. Do we know what a circle is? Circle, 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 circle. OK. All right. This is the song. It's called, If You're Happy and You Know It. Have you ever heard that song before? If you're happy and you know it, what? Clap Clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. What if we were birds? What would birds do Show that they're happy. They would fly, they would flap their wings. Move out a little bit so we can flap our wings. Step out a a little bit, make the circle bigger. If you're happy and you know it, flap your wings. If you're happy and you know it, flap your wings. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, flap your wings. What if you were a puppy dog? How do you show that you're happy when you're a puppy dog? You bark or you wag your tail. How many of you have ever seen a dog wag its tail when it's really happy? How do you wag? How does a dog wag its tail? <laughs> if you're happy and you know it, wag your tail. If you're happy and you know it, wag your tail. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, wag your tail. Now let's do all three. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, clap your wings. Shake your tail. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, clap your wings. Shake your tail, wag your tail. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, clap your wings. Wag your tail. Okay, sit down, sit down. I want to teach you guys, I mean, I want to tell you guys a story about a little puppy dog who was very happy. He was so happy all the time. And he noticed something. He noticed that whenever he was happy, his tail would wag really fast. And he thought to himself, if I want to always have happiness, that means I have to have my tail. So what he would do is he would see his tail wagging and he would try to catch it. Have you ever seen a dog do that? Just spinning around a circle trying to catch their tail? Well, the little little puppy dog came up to the bigger dog, the older dog. And he said, I learned something this week. And the older dog said, what did you learn? He said, I learned that I can, when I'm happy, I wag my tail. And the older dog said, I am too. Whenever I'm happy, I wag my tail. And you know what I learned? In my tail is happiness. And the old dog said, I've learned that too. In my tail is happiness. Because whenever I'm happy, I wag my tail. And the puppy dog said, and you know what? I want to be happy all the time. So I try to catch my tail. And the all dog said, Oh, I learned a long time ago, you can't catch happiness by chasing it. You can only be happy by being your normal self. And then happiness follows you wherever you go. And the, the puppy dog was like, that doesn't, I don't understand that, but there's a truth there. And that's what Jesus was saying in his sermon. He said, if you live a life that is pleasing to God, you will find happiness. If you try to find happiness, you'll never have it. But if you live a life that's pleasing to God, happiness will follow you everywhere and you'll be happy. So if you want to be happy or be blessed, live a life for God. Isn't that a cool story? I want to pray for you and then we're going to, and then I've noticed that our teacher Miss Jamie is not here today. I'm not sure if somebody's sick or if they had car trouble or something, but she's not here. And so the end result is your class can't happen because there's no teacher today. So we're going to ask you guys to go back and sit with your folks today. I'm sorry, but let's let's pray real quick first. okay? Jesus, I ask that you help these boys and girls to learn to be happy by loving you and to serving you and to living for you and to not worry about trying to be happy through all any other thing. Father. Help them to walk a path that is pleasing to you. And then may happiness follow them wherever they go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys can go back and sit with your folks. All right? We have reached the point in our study of the book of Matthew where the Sermon on the Mount is. And uh, as I just showed the kids, go ahead and bring up the first slide. Craig, if you would, please. That first the, the first section of chapter five, which is where we're at, uh, is talking about the Beatitudes. And you just heard me tell the kids about being blessed and being happy and Jesus lists all of that. And and as I was prayerfully trying to prepare myself for this week, um, I really thought about the Beatitudes and whether or not I should preach on it. But that's not where the Lord led me. Um, but I, I don't want to just ignore it. So just know that that's there. That's a that's a, a strong component of the Sermon on the Mount. And actually, we're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for the next three weeks, because today is Matthew 5. Next week will be Matthew 6. The following week will be Matthew 7. 7. Um, But this first section is talking about how to be happy by living a life that's pleasing to God. But then if you go to the next section of the chapter, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Go ahead and bring the slide up, please, Craig. Um, Jesus transitions in his teaching. And he said, you are salt and you are light. And again, we're not going to talk a lot about that this morning. That's not where God has me, but I, I don't, I don't want to ignore it. So understand that Jesus said to be happy, live a life that's pleasing to God. Number two, you have a responsibility to impact the world around you, to impact your community by being salt and light. And he talks about that for for four verses. But then the next section, which is what we're going to be focusing on, is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So let's open up our Bibles. And I left my Bible sitting right here. (laughs) Open. So open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And I'll read it to you. You can follow along. Do not think. That I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of these, of the, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, these five verses, or four verses, excuse me, um, the first three I want to talk about, and then we're going to talk about 20 in just a second. First of all, what was Jesus meaning when he said... um, an iota or a dot in, in some translations it might say a jot or a tittle does anybody has anybody ever heard any teaching on what he's talking about there okay let me give you an example if if with your hand or with your finger i want you to join me draw in the air the letter a three marks right down down and across everyone knows how to make an a make a b i'll do it your way Okay, make a C. That's the English language, okay? In Hebrew, when they are writing letters, there's a lot more strokes to their letters than we have in ours. And in some cases, a tiny little mark can actually change the letter from this letter to this letter. And some of those tiny little marks, especially when it's being handwritten, can be missed, because they're so small or so faint because, you know, if they're just doing a, a like, you know, when you're writing a letter to somebody or a note to somebody, sometimes you scribble a little bit and and you go to dot the I, but the the, the, the dot is way over here and you go to cross the T and it doesn't quite get all the way across. The, I mean, that just happens in handwriting. Well, in Hebrew, those little marks actually affect the letters, whether or not it is this letter or that letter, and that 's what Jesus is talking about here in the writings in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, I am telling you that all that until heaven and earth passes away, not a single thing is going to be changed in the writings, not a little mark, nothing, nothing 's going to be taken away, and He said to the people, I am coming not to change The law, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And as I was studying this, every scholar, every single scholar said, this is one of the hardest passages in all of the Bible to understand what he's talking about. I was like, oh, thank you. Give me an answer. Don't just tell me it's hard. But the reality is it's hard. What was Jesus saying here? What I would submit to you, as I have been studying this and been trying to to, to understand it for myself, is this. The Bible, Genesis all the way through to Revelation, has an overarching story. What is the overarching story from Genesis to Revelation? There is a God. That God is the creator of all that is. That creator God desired relationship with humanity. That creator God is a holy and righteous God and has set forth specific things that we must do in order to have relationship with this God. And when we violate those commandments, those requirements, those laws, we have a penalty to pay and there is only one way for those law, those violations those sins to be corrected and that is through the shedding of blood this is all the story but if, if you look at the overarching story then we get into the new testament jesus becomes the fulfillment of all of that priest stuff where jesus where if you look in the, in, in the old testament talks about the uh, The blood sacrifices and it talks about how to get sins forgiven and all of this. And then you come to the New Testament and Jesus literally fulfills all of that through his own sacrificial death on the cross. So Jesus is saying, I'm not coming to do away with everything that you've known before and give you something brand new. I'm telling you what I've come to do is to close out the story that God started way back in Genesis. And you need to understand that these teachings I'm giving you are not doing away with or replacing. These are literally making it richer, making it deeper, giving you a fuller understanding. So I am not abolishing the law. I am fulfilling the law. And I'm telling you, you cannot relax any part of the law and please God in order to be righteous, in order to have a right relationship with God. You need to do what the law says. And then he begins to give examples. Now, look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Bring up the next slide, please. Jesus says to this crowd of people, unless your righteousness, the way you live, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine how discouraging it would have been to hear Jesus say that? Why? We don't know that culture because we're not living in that culture. But that culture, those people, the Pharisees and the scribes, there were literally hundreds of commandments They were the law. It was an oral tradition that had been passed down from rabbi to rabbi to rabbi. But the point is that there was literally rules about every aspect of life. You had to say this prayer when you woke up in the morning. You had to say this prayer before your meal. You had to say this prayer when you went to bed. You had to say this prayer at the beginning of the Sabbath. You had to wash your hands in a certain way. You had to, you had to, you had to, you had to. And if you look at the gospel story, the time of Jesus walking on the earth, you see time and time again, these scribes and these Pharisees, these people who were the experts in the law, who knew every little jot and tittle, knew everything. They were trying to find a point where Jesus was varying or violating or, dis- or trying to do away with the law. And not once, if you go through the entire four Gospels, not once can you find where Jesus was ever found to be violating or negating the law. But he was giving a fuller, richer, deeper understanding of the law. Now, let me take you into verse, into the next section. We are not going to take time this morning. Bring up the next slide, please. We're not going to take time this morning to look at all the rest of Matthew chapter five. You can do that on your own. But know that chapter 5, verse 21, all the way through to the end, verse 48, is called, <coughs> excuse me, by scholars, it is called the great antith- Antithesis. Antitheses, that's it. Antitheses. I, I listened to that over and over and over again online, trying to hear how to pronounce it, and I still said it wrong. Great antitheses. And what an antithesis or antithesis is, sorry, what an antithesis is, is it's a, it's a form of, 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 literary form that says, you've heard this, but I'm telling you this. It's like the anti of, you were told this, but I'm telling you this, you were told this, but I'm telling you this. And all of the next passages from from verse 21 to 48, Jesus is giving further understanding about the law. He goes into the discussion of murder and anger. He goes into the discussion of, well, I, again, we don't have to lust and divorce and oaths and um, retaliation. And then finally, loving your enemies. So Jesus is saying, you've heard the scribes and the Pharisees tell you this. But I'm telling you this. And he makes it even more stringent, if you will. Now, I, I don't have time this morning to do all that, but let me share with you. Just a thought that I had about to to make it make it something that can we can relate to. Okay, bring up the next slide, Craig. How many of you have ever heard the term tithing? How many of you practice and then you don't have to raise your hand on this one. How many of you practice tithing? How many of you think tithing is an Old Testament practice that's no longer necessary to Christians? Now, let me tell you, if you go to Jesus's words in Matthew, chapter five, verses 17 through 20, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with tithing. I came to fulfill tithing. I didn't tell, come to say that it needs to stop. I, I, I'm telling you it needs to continue. I'm telling you, any of you who try to diminish tithing are going to find yourself in a least place in heaven. But if you practice tithing and teach others to tithe, then you're going to find yourself in a great place. of it. Do you hear what I'm saying? Using the word tithing in the place of law, now you can put... Anything in there. But let's just look at tithing because tithing is one that's controversial in some places. Okay? Ten percent. There are there is a, a, a an old testament standard of you give ten percent when you when you pay a tithe. But what happens when I have a brand new baby Christian, someone who's say twenty five, twenty six, twenty eight years old? They just come to faith. They have school loans from their college years. They have a car loan. They might even have a really exorbitant uh, lease that lasts for at least another six months or eight months. And they have three kids. And they are literally living paycheck to paycheck, just barely scraping by working two jobs. Now I come to them as Pastor Bob and I say, well, you know, if you're going to be a good Christian living the life that God wants, you need to give 10% of all of your money to God. What? What? I, I, what am I supposed to do not feed my family? But the Bible says, the law says 10%. But Jesus, if you look at these antitheses, he says, but you need to think about what is the law saying? And what do you really need to do to live the law? Now, I will tell you what Pastor Bob teaches. Now, I'm not telling you this is for you. I'm telling you this is what I teach. I believe that it is a matter of I want to honor God with my finances. It is a matter of I I personally use 10% as the base. That doesn't mean that I give only 10%. I don't, I give way more than 10%. None of your business, how much I give? Because I don't share your business with anybody else and I'm certainly not gonna share my business with you. But understand that I say, if somebody asks me, I think you should start at 10% and then let the Lord lead you however you see fit. However, if you are in the situation where you are literally paycheck to paycheck and you don't have it to give, then don't beat yourself up. Just work towards getting to the point where you do have the ability to give and then give. Now, the other issue, should I give on net income or should I give on my gross? Because if I give on my net, then that means when I get my IRS refund that I have to tithe on that because I didn't tithe on that money initially because it was taken out of my paycheck before I actually paid my tithe. So if I pay my gross, then that means when I get my refund at the end of the year, I don't have to pay a tithe on that, right? Now you're becoming a Pharisee, okay? Because that's not what this is about. It's not about trying to figure out the best way to manipulate. It's the whole issue is your heart. What are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to be living your life in such a way that it brings honor to God and it brings glory to God and it advances the kingdom of God. And one of those ways is that giving of your own house to God's purposes. Now, it's not on the screen, but should I give to my local church or should I give it to submission or should I give it to uh I, I had a friend who was <coughs> excuse me, who was a bona fide Christian. She was way more Christian than I was at that point in our lives, and she didn't give to any particular church. She took ten percent of her income and set it aside every single pay period, and then as God gave her instruction, she would give the money out. So if somebody was standing on the side of the road and God said, give that person $100, okay. Somebody needed a car, she bought him a car. Because she had thousands of dollars available. Now, I don't believe that's the way you're supposed to do it. I think you're supposed to release that money. You're not supposed to control it. You're supposed to give it to the kingdom. But this was how she felt she was supposed to live her life. As long as she's doing what her heart is telling her, I can't fault that. Now, This was something that happened this week, the salary or gifts or just salary. I felt so badly this week. My seven year old grandson was at the house and I said, grandson, would you like to earn some money? Yeah. Well, honey, I need some help because I'm trying to clear out my truck. I can't get in the back of my truck very easily. And I need to clear it all out, sweep it, wipe it down, and then reorganize the the boxes that I have in the back with the tools. Can you help me with that? And he's like, yeah. So I then gave him a dollar because he only worked for maybe five minutes. It was just cleaning and sweeping. And then he was done. And he's like, a dollar. I got a dollar. (laughs) He went in. Mom, look, I got a dollar. And she said, you know, you need to give 10 cents of that to God. But but then I'll only have 90 cents. That's right. And I wanted, I was the grandpa. I wanted, uh, no, I gave him a dollar. I wanted him to be able to go to the store and buy something. But I wasn't going to negate the spiritual formation that my daughter was attempting in her child's life. And she sat there with him and she said, now sweetie, you need to understand. The way your father and I believe is that when God gives us, that's one thing. But if we earn the money, then we have to pay a tithe on it. So in her spiritual formation of her children, she's raising them to understand that if God blesses you with a gift, there's no tithe needed. But if you earn the money, there is a tithe expected and and it should be given. Now, I'd never heard that before, but that's how she's raising her child. The grandpa in me was like, but... Just let him keep the 10 cents. It's not that big. But she was forming this kid to understand how to honor God. And see, that's what Jesus was talking about in chapter 5, verse 19. When he said, if you diminish any of these laws, you will find yourself in a diminished place in the kingdom. But if you teach these laws and practice these things, then you will find yourself in a higher or greater place in the kingdom. Because that's the point. We're supposed to be living our lives in such a way that we honor God with every part of our life, not just our giving. Now, going back to this idea of living righteously and righteousness. Bring up the next slide, please, Craig. Jesus decided to not let me uh, stay in chapter five because chapter six worked out to be the first four verses just blended right into what I needed to talk about this morning. So I'm, I'm bringing chapter six into it, even though it's not chapter five, but. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Let me read you the all of the words because I didn't have room on the screen to fit it all. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have the, received their reward, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. <clears throat> this is one of the things, one of the key things about living righteously. If you've ever heard the story of Jesus and his disciples at the temple and they saw the little the little old lady dropped a couple of coins down into the offering box and Jesus said she gave more than everybody. Well, that offering box that she dropped her coin into was this big, huge, silver, trumpet-shaped thing that made noise as the coins fell into it. Have you ever been in a store or a mall where they have a display? It's kind of like a big funnel and you drop your coin in the little slot and release it. And it spins and spins and spins and spins and spins and spins and spins and, spins and, and drops into the box. And kids love it. So they go, oh, give me, a dime, give me a dime, give me a dime, give me a nickel. Well, imagine that at church. And you're giving your offering. And you drop it in. And it goes. Ting, 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 ting. And everybody goes, wow, he gave a lot. That's why they like giving coins, not paper. Because it makes noise when they give it in the box. Oh, I didn't say that to Americans, did I? Oh, I'm sorry. Because when we used to pass boxes, I mean to pass our plates around, people would just drop coins in because then they knew everyone knew that they were making an offering. But so if you write a check, you do it electronically, nobody knows. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, that's not the point. What I'm saying is Jesus' teaching is when you give, when you give. When you do righteousness, don't do it for the show. Don't let other people know that you're doing it. Because if you do it for those reasons, you've already got your reward. If you are living righteously like the old dog, I'm seeking happiness. I want everyone to know how good of a Christian I am because I gave to this poor person who was standing outside of Walmart with their little cardboard sign. Or Whatever. The point of giving, the point of living righteously is not so that people who look at you and say you're a good Christian. The point of living righteously, which we will see later on in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, "Let your light I mean no, it's actually chapter chapter 5. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So living righteously is the purpose is not for me to be acknowledged, not for me to be raised up. It is for my father to be pleased. It is for me to be in right relationship with my father. But the challenge comes in that we get it stuck in this, in this, how can I live righteously? And then we get stuck in that tithing issue of, do I do net or gross? Do I do 10%, 5%, 15%, 40%? Am I supposed to give it on my gifts or on my salary or both? And you get stuck in that and you get trapped in the idea of doing a a pharisaical listing. And holiness people, which is of which is who Nazarenes are. Holiness people are one of the worst offenders in that. Because, you know, when I first came into the church, we don't this and we don't this and we don't this and we don't this. My mother in law, God rest her soul. Chewing on a couple of ladies who came to church wearing shorts that were too short on a Sunday evening. Well, these ladies had been out with their families and enjoying the afternoon, but they chose to come back to church Sunday night. And they didn't have time to go home and change into a skirt. But some holiness lady decided she needed to chew on these people who were coming to church inappropriately dressed. And see, that's the challenge that Christians face today. You want to live a a righteous, holy, and pure life, but we get stuck in the lists. We get stuck in the do's and the don'ts. We get stuck in the trying to chase our tail so that we can be blessed. But I will show you how Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets In this one passage of scripture. Bring up the next passage, please. Jeremiah chapter 31. And I'm actually actually going to read. Jeremiah 31. 31. Bear with me. 31 through and following. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And the house of Judah. And each his brother saying, know the Lord, for they'll all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord, I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. And what Jeremiah was speaking from God the Father was, there's going to come a time in the way I relate to human beings when it's no longer going to be a matter of worrying about following a rule book. I will literally put my spirit within them. And I, through the Holy Spirit, will guide them into all truth. I will teach them how they are to live. They will no longer have to worry about following a set of rules because they will know in their heart the way to live if they follow me, if they listen for my voice. That's what holiness is, people. That's what righteous living is. When you ask God to forgive you of your sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, when you receive Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God comes and resides with you. (coughs) Excuse me. We teach that there is what's called a second blessing, which means when we recognize that we're still struggling as Christians with the carnal nature, this desire to always want to do what's not right. That the Holy Spirit of God, if we would yield to him, he can truly cleanse us of that unrighteousness and he can empower us to live a life that is holy, righteous and pleasing to God. Amen. But it all comes down to, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to follow? Are you willing to hear that still small voice that's within you? Once you say yes to that and start following that, you stop chasing your tail because it follows you, the blessings and the happiness. And the righteousness, because you're no longer trying to make yourself holy or make yourself righteous by following a bunch of lists. You're simply living your life under the influence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And the end result is you are called great in the kingdom. The last slide, Craig, if you would, please, going back to Matthew chapter five, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds lists. Unless your righteousness exceeds minutia, worrying about doing absolutely everything correctly, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It is all about listening to God, following God's teaching and allowing the spirit of God to lead you into all righteousness. Let's pray. God, we give you praise, honor and glory. And we ask, Father, that if there's anyone here who has not entered into a relationship where they have you inside talking to them, guiding them, we ask that you would help them to recognize that. Father, if there's those of us who are followers of you, but we've never submitted to allowing your Holy Spirit to completely baptize us and fill us with your power, we ask that you would help us to submit to that. And then finally, God, for those of us who have been following you, who do have your Holy Spirit, who have been listening to you, but for whatever reason we've gotten either complacent or trapped in following a bunch of rules, help us to release that to you as well. Help us, God, to stop chasing our tail. Help us to simply walk the life before the world and seeing the blessings come around and around and behind us. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.